Hey, chocolate lovers. This month, I bring to you the second installment of full-length interviews, but with a twist. It's really two interviews done six months apart. Back in January, I had the opportunity to visit the cacao farms of Regal Plantations in the Tamil Nadu district of southern India. The farms are owned and operated by brothers-in-law Harish Manosh Kumar and Karthi Paniswamy. Together, the two also run their chocolate brands, Soclet Chocolate and Regal Chocolate. And these aren't even their day jobs. The first interview I share here was done on January 2nd before anybody in India was even concerned about COVID-19. It goes into their background, the current state of Indian cacao, and their cocoa processing methods. The second, much shorter interview was done by phone last week, almost exactly six months after the first one. And that's where we address the COVID-19 crisis in India and what that means for chocolate makers, as well as how that's affected chocolate's many operations. So let's get started. Okay, so, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Can you get a little closer to each other? No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Okay. I think it's fine. Well, then you'll be in the yeah. left ear, you'll be in the right ear. Okay, so, uh, could you introduce yourselves and tell me how you came to be cacao farmers, chocolate makers, businessmen? Okay, hello, Max. Thank you for coming to visit us. My name is Harish. I'm the person in charge of all of the farming part, the processing of the beans, etc. My background was I did engineering in computer science, after which I pursued a career in textile-related businesses. Uh, in the year, I think, 2000, I got the opportunity to come back and to live in Polachi. And that's when I also had the opportunity to get back into farming, which was my core interest. And that's how I got into farming. And in the old days, it was all traditional farming. What is traditional farming? Traditional or should I say conventional farming. And uh, by conventional, everyone understands that you use chemicals and uh, all the prescriptions come from the universities, agricultural universities. That's what we started off with. And uh, I was into uh, primarily coconut-based farming. Around that same time, we also experimented with intercropping simply because it was logical that we did make use of the other space in the farming land apart from the coconut. You know, we first tried vanilla farming along with coconuts. That didn't do too well here because of the weather and the climate. Then we got into nutmegs. And at the same time, we also tried cocoa farming in the year, I think, 2004, 2005, something like that. That's when it became popular in this region. Why did it become popular in this region? Well, uh, you need uh, ambient uh, weather and uh, Polachi being where it is located geographically. We are blessed with both the monsoons, the southwest monsoon and we have the northeast monsoon. So we get the best of both. That is uh, crucial, I think, in any cultivation, especially like coconuts. We are very well known for producing first class or high grade coconuts with a high oil percentage. Similarly, we also found our cacao was doing pretty well, even in the early stages, the first couple of years. 
Also, we found that the plants were growing very well, very vigorously. And whatever little fruit spots that we saw were looking good. That's how we started with cacao. So that's the beginning of the early stages. Uh, let's get to Karthi. Hello, uh, this is uh, Karthi. I'm uh, Manoj's brother-in-law and uh, partner in crime in uh, Soclet and Riddle Chocolates. I'm a textile engineer involved in my family business, which is uh, textile manufacturing. So basically what happened was in the end of 2015, me and Manoj were just talking about it and, you know, he was looking at opportunities to do something with the cocoa to add value to the farm. And his original idea was to try and to export the beans to Europe. And uh, that's what he was talking about. And like, you know, any good idea on a Saturday night, we just joked about it. And we said, hell with it. Let's try to make our own chocolate. And that, that's how it started. And uh, so we did some online research, uh, spoke to some people and made a test batch at home. And uh, we showed it to a couple of people we knew. And, you know, if they would have spat it out, that would have pretty much been the end of the story. But luckily, we got positive feedback. And, you know, one thing led to another. And before we knew it, we were talking to craft chocolate makers in the US. Uh, we were trying to understand uh, and, and to build that we needed to have good quality cacao beans if we wanted to make good chocolate. And that, that was the end of the day. That's what mattered. So then we set aside trying to develop and trying to build a proper fermentary to try to produce a world-class cacao bean. The friends and acquaintances that we connected in the industry helped us to do that. And uh, so from a test trial at home in the end of 2015, we went on to produce uh, world-class cacao by the end of 2017, where we got an ICA. Could you tell me more about the supply of cacao in India? Where is cacao currently cultivated? Not just in Palachi, right? All no. of India you want? You're asking about all of India? Yeah, where, where in India is cacao? Yeah, primarily in the four states, southern states, uh, Andhra Pradesh, Tamil Nadu, Kerala, and in Karnataka. These are the four states where cacao is actually grown. Primarily, it's sold to what used to be known as Cadbury's, the, the large chocolate maker, or to Campco. It's another organization which is like a cooperative, uh, which uh, purchases also dry cacao or wet cacao as it could be in different states. That's These are the two companies that purchase. And currently is the supply of cacao in India growing or decreasing? It's not growing as rapidly as one might think because simply because the climatic conditions that this particular crop requires is not prevalent in every part of the state. It's only certain small microclimate, I mean, areas which can provide this microclimate, that's where this crop will thrive. It needs 50% shade in our regions because India, as you know, especially southern India, is quite sunny. And at the, in the summer months, you should be able to provide supplementary irrigation. So that kind of limits where you can grow cacao. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's not that everywhere in all these four states that you can actually cultivate. It needs shade and it needs the, uh, the infrastructure to be able to provide the uh, moisture, irrigation, that kind of things. So it's not really growing in, in that sense. 
And how is cacao usually laid out on farms? Is it usually all cacao or just a few random trees here and there? Well, here the primary shade providing crop would have to be coconut because we also have coconut here as a uh, main tire crop, which will act as the shade provider for the cacao. Unlike in uh, South America or Latin America where they grow it just under bananas or as a plain pure crop, here you cannot do so. You can only grow it under a taller tree like the cacao. Or in some states, in these hilly districts where they grow cacao, they grow it under some jungle trees as well, just like how they do coffee. Much More like coffee. canopy. Yeah, yes. Canopy. The uh, canopy would be some other jungle tree and they would grow cacao as the second type crop. So how would you describe Indian farmers generally as a whole? Do they tend to experiment with their crops, with their land, be more I don't know, open to change with trends? It really depends. You cannot generalize it, but it depends on which pocket you're talking about. For example, the region that I come from, Polachi Belt, they are what you call generally a progressive farming community. But that being said, you cannot say that they will experiment with anything at all. If they've done their study and if they know that there is going to be potential, then they would do so. Again, it needs to have the right amount of uh, incentive to draw them in. That I think so. So they don't tend to just change crops or add crops in on a whim? Not on whim or quite randomly. At least it has to have monetary benefit or and at the same time it should be something a possibility because labor is quite hard to come by especially this sort of a agricultural uh, labor is very hard to come by nowadays as more and more people get educated they want to move to the cities and all want white collar jobs so it's not easy to come across labor that will be coming back to work in your farms consistently every day yes yes and also, you know, I will add one point here uh, in that uh, I think uh, sometimes for the farmer, uh, a lot of his decisions on what crops to add or to remove is also based on the availability of water and weather. And uh, if you see the last, I would say the last five, ten years has actually been a challenge. Uh, you know, touch wood this year, the rains have been good for us. Uh, but if you see that in the previous five years, I think three out of the last five years, we've had issues with water. And uh, when that happens, what we have seen uh, even at our neighboring farms is that the coconut, as Manod said, is, is, the, is the mother crop. And that's what the farmer always wants to say. So they would gladly chop the cocoa trees to conserve uh, water and to make sure that the coconut survives. Has that affected your ability to collect cacao from neighboring farms at all? Uh, no, not at all. See, in our case, uh, we are not yet there. Today, what we grow under our own family's control, I think, is more than enough. We did experiment with buying cacao from our neighbors to, to see what happens because, see, down the line in the next few years, yes, we need to do that in order for us to grow. Uh, but... Consciously, we've taken a decision that unlike the rest of the world, we will not buy wet beans. We will buy pods and we will break them ourselves and extract uh, the beans. We will not buy wet beans. So that's at least the decision what we've taken based on the little bit of experimenting what we've done the last two seasons. But I think we are still at least a year or two away from that. Uh, but 
to answer your question yes you know if trees are getting removed in our region of course you know that would affect our ability to produce more no doubt so do you say that farmers in india tend to work with nature or work despite nature more and more people are beginning to realize that you have to work with nature however the vast majority of the farming community still does not know that they are actually working against nature i mean there's a lot a lot of stuff that i can talk to you about how they do everything without really thinking into what would happen tomorrow everything is for today all of conventional farming is based on using the latest generation of chemical fertilizer pesticides the fungicides and everything is the latest generation of chemicals basically it's just you're adding more and more chemical into a system which is not geared for working based on chemical inputs about 7 years back when we actually started thinking along the lines of sustainability in along the lines of organic farming chemical free farming you know pesticide free farming those kind of things uh, a lot of lot of experiments done by us was in terms of reducing chemical input and increasing organic input and what was our initial challenge was that the cost of organic input was way higher than the chemical input cost of application as well so in order to attain let's just say that you wanted to get x metric tons of your crop it could be coconut it could be cacao it could be anything else bananas nutmegs but to achieve that if you could do it with just one metric ton of chemicals you needed to apply 10 metric tons of organic manure and and the cost of it it was not cost effective using organics that was the first challenge and that was because i over time i realized that we have forgotten the traditional methods which our forefathers 100 years back what we did 200 years back what we did in order to achieve healthy crops healthy living healthy lifestyle we've forgotten all of that and now we are just doing something just simply based on what somebody else is recommending all our traditional knowledge we've let it go and we are doing something completely alien to our system and we realize that there's more attack of pest more disease and your application of chemicals is getting more and more frequent so in the end you're spending more and you're not making that much profit that was the initial realization for me behind which i started experimenting based on uh, natural farming methods mm. and now we produce something which is very good where we get much more yield we have a much more sustainable yield we have a much more higher quality yield and we get a year round yield which i think is far more better than having a one shot peak season and then rest of the year you have no crop at all What is the most popular chocolate type product in India and why do you think that is the most popular or those are the most popular? Uh well the most popular chocolate product in India today is your cheap commercially produced milk chocolate bars. I think we have the British and the history to thank for that uh, because that's that's what culturally India has seen in the last 60 70 years or the last 100 years. That accounts from probably more than 90% of the market share now are uh, are any of these bars made with palm oil or are they actual milk chocolate bars uh well uh 
Okay, uh, it's a little tricky because in India today, uh, the FSSAI, which is our you know governing body as far as labeling and food safety standards are concerned, chocolate is still not a very highly defined subject yet. So the labeling laws are not very particular yet. So pretty much today you can call what you want and get away with it. So there, there isn't really a lot of transparency at this point in time. So to answer your question, is there palm oil? I'm pretty sure there is palm oil in many of the chocolates, but uh, yeah, I honestly, I don't know which ones are which, but it sure, I'm sure there it is. So what has the evolution of bean to bar been like in India? Who are some of the early makers who are okay. who've popped up? Uh, bean to bar in India is for actually a country that grows cacao. It's a very minuscule number. Today, as we speak, there are less than five. There are five people, in fact. The oldest one, actually, if I have to talk about, is uh, is a guy who started out of Mysore in 2012. At that time, his brand was called Earthloaf. Uh, now it's called Navinola. So he's he's a South African who is from the UK who's ended up in Mysore. So he's the first one. Uh, the second one we have is a company called Mason & Co. out of uh, Oroville in Pondicherry. Again, that's run by a uh, by a French guy who lives in Pondicherry. So he's a bean to bar guy again, number two, I think. He was started somewhere about 2013-14 or so. Other than that, there are a couple of people out of Mumbai and Cochin. So you hardly have five or six people in the country. These and are the people that are established and I'm sure that there are a lot of, another handful of people that are not yet, not yet I mean, big yeah, brands as yeah, yet, but they are just still selling just out of the house or, you know, starting, making their yes, own they've already stuff started, at home. Yeah. So, but it's still a minuscule uh, number. For a country like India, this is still yeah. a minuscule number, yes. I mean, yeah, the population is like over three times the U.S. And yeah. look at how many makers we have. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think it's coming? Do you th Is this going to increase? Definitely yes. No question about it. Uh, but to what extent and scale, I'm not so sure. Because see, what happens is for craft chocolate, for bean to bar chocolate, if your bean is not good, then you know, that's the end of the story. You're not going to get to make uh, good chocolate, period. And I think that's where the trickier part in India is. Because in India, still today, you know, barring two fermentaries, there is literally no fine flavor cacao. So that sort of, I think, limits and puts pressure on bean to bar makers who are looking for raw materials. And... Uh, finally, it's very hard to compete against a market where your where the other brands and the players are. You know, they're selling chocolate bars for twenty cents, twenty five cents, thirty cents. So it, it's it's very tough. Uh, you need to build your story. You need to build your narrative, and uh, and it takes time and it's tough. So compared to specialty chocolate markets that you've seen around the rest of the world, how does India's compare? And in in what ways might it be more developed or less developed? In India, fortunately or unfortunately, because of our culture, as far as chocolate is concerned, anything that has the word imported, followed by, you know, French or Belgium or Swiss, people automatically think it's good. That's the best quality. And that's, that's uh, unfortunately what an average Indian thinks. Also, if you see real dark chocolate, uh, it's just emerging as a segment that is interesting in India now. Uh, otherwise, it was mostly milk and, you know, overly sweet uh, stuff. Uh, because again, you know, culturally Indian deserts are very sweet. Indians have a big sweet tooth and um, that sort of 
I think did not allow dark chocolates to flourish in India. Uh, but that is changing a little bit now. And especially in larger urban cities, today you see well-known international brands set up shop, you know, like Royce and other stuff who are coming in, at least getting Indians introduced to, I wouldn't say the best quality chocolate, at least better quality chocolate. And uh, slowly we can see that trend developing in terms of dark chocolate, in terms of real chocolate, what is good, what is not good, um, how things can taste different and stuff like that. So right now as chocolate makers, what are your biggest challenges that you're facing, trying to overcome? As a chocolate maker, uh, the number one challenge, you know, being a small scale, small batch chocolate maker is uh, access to shelf space. We are, you know, a country of 1.3 billion people and, and a nation of shopkeepers, as they say, you know, but getting the right shelves to put our chocolate in is, is I would say the biggest challenge we have today because craft chocolate makers we don't have the same budgets as the large commercial guys in terms of promoting or marketing our chocolate which is what the retailers look for uh, if we want to go and ask for shelf space and also price points because uh, today you know uh, an average bean to bar chocolate bar in India even though you know it's not an $8 or $10 or $15 bars in the US at between 200 to 300 rupees it's still five or six times more expensive than uh, than you know a cheap Cadbury's or a dairy milk bar that is that's what people are used to so the price is the second part and making the consumers understand why we are expensive and what goes into it in order for it to be expensive these two are more or less the biggest challenges so even if it might only be three or four US dollars, mm -hmm. that's still much more than the 25 cent bar that Absolutely. people can access much more easily. Yep. So what has it been like building the fermentary and then adding on a chocolate factory to your operations? Because you you've had the cacao farm for 13 years now? Yes. The cacao plantation has been 13 years old. And uh, like I said, what fascinated me about growing or cultivating cacao was the fact that under these very same circumstances that we grow our original mother crop, which is coconut, we found that the cacao was also thriving very well. As long as we provided it the basic care that it required. And then the fruits were looking very good. We were getting good sustainable yields. And then we decided that we wanted to see what could we do with the cacao bean then just sell it as commodity cacao. So I wanted to see where we stand, what quality we produce, etc. And that's when on one of the trips to Amsterdam at Choco, I met some very, very interesting people. So what I found that I had a cacao bean that could not be described by anybody as anything particular, but it was peculiar. It had something to it, but did not have anything special to it. We had no idea of what was required at that point in time. So... Uh, we came back, we got references, we spoke to several other premium cacao bean producers. We got all of those inputs. Then we set up a fermentary which could actually take this cacao from the plant and transform it to something very special. And we managed to do that with the help of several friends from America. And Greg, Gino, Dan, all of them being prominently influencing this journey of ours. And we put up a fermentary which could actually transform the cacao from the plants that you saw into something super special. So that 
took a lot of work but it's also fair to say that we we take a great deal of pride in the way that we do our entire system even from the pods we select the seeds which we think are good enough and then we take it further one step at a time we plant those same plants and now they've come into yield as well the first couple of seasons we've even harvested those plants that we decided to propagate and uh, so on when did you build the chocolate factory to process all the beans uh, okay see the chocolate factory well we set up the basic i would say r&d kind of a setup the beginning of 2016 and our first bar actually hit the shelf in july of 2017 what was it like sourcing the equipment for all of that but the equipment part of it was not really difficult at all because uh, see what we did was we we had to work with what we have and we're not talking about at that point in time definitely not a very large volume of production as well so what we did was being in Coimbatore we first melange was custom made for us by a company in Coimbatore that also makes melanges for other chocolate makers abroad uh, whereas you know for the roasters and the winnowers we had to work with what we had so we sort of took equipment to process spices and we sort of modified it to suit what we wanted and that's how we started out i mean the only thing we we really had to struggle with was actually the tempering machine where there was no option but to but cough up uh, a lot of money and uh, buy an imported uh, machine can you tell me what you do with all of the reject beans okay there are uh, two parts in terms of our beans we grade them as a b and c A is our top grade beans that we set aside for exports or to other chocolate makers abroad. So whatever is exported and left over, we use it for our own chocolate consumption. Grade B is uh, there's nothing wrong in terms of flavor. Uh, it's only a question of appearance. So that also we consume it for our own chocolate uh, production needs. Grade C is what is really rejected and that gets sold out uh, the in the local yes. local commodity market. Yeah. And. What are the characteristics of those beans? What, what do those rejected beans look like? Well, these are, you know, you could put it as uh, two categories. One is where there has been an issue in terms of fermentation and drying, you know, something was wrong. Either it was cloudy, rainy, it was uh, not dried properly in time or, you know, somebody forgot to turn some boxes and it got over fermented, you know, stuff like that. Whether there's over fermented, a, under fermented, yeah. not dried well enough, not uh, you didn't get the right color right appearance those kind of issues so that is one type of reject so where absolutely the flavor profile is not what we want that we set aside as rejects the second part of uh, the rejects is what comes out in our sorting because once our beans are finished we sort them for size and and we pick out anything that's deformed broken stuck beans uh, you know beans that are misshapen stuff like that so that's also the uh, second sort of a stream of uh, rejects So what are your most popular products both domestically and internationally is there any difference uh, internationally i mean the international market is not very big for us at this point of time we are present in a few stores in the benelux region in europe and we have one uh, online retailer in the us who carries us and one in the uk i think what internationally has sold well has actually been the chili and the coffee uh and of course the uh, 70% bar i think these three domestically it's been very 
I would say difficult to put a finger on because geographically different bars have done done yes. well in different different areas of the country. For example, you know, coffee coffee has reasonably done well throughout. But if you see coconut, for example, the coconut bar has done well in the south, whereas in the north it has not done well at all. Ginger and mint have done well in the north, have not done well in the south of India. So it's it's been a little mixed. But I think overall, uh, overall, I think no. uh, it's fair to say that the dark chocolates, the seventy and eighty-two, have done well, done. whether it's domestically yeah. or whether it's internationally, they've done very well. But uh, again, the very popular selling flavor for us infusion would be the filter coffee. Filter coffee is done well here as well as internationally. Also, the chili also has done well here and in, in internationally. But internationally, I, we find that people are a little more experimental. They are more keen to uh, new things, whereas here they are a little more slower. But the trend is changing all the time. What is something that you are most proud of as a chocolate maker or a farmer? Uh, I think what, at least in, in, in the way I look at it, what I am proud of is, is, uh, is the simple fact that we are a tree to bar maker and we chose to say that you know we will work only with our beans or Indian beans and and stick to an Indian sort of a narrative in this whole thing which is why we try to pay homage to India as much as possible in everything that we do right from the name of the brand to the packaging to the kind of flavors that we work with uh, the kind of ingredients that we work with uh, and and I think that is what we're proud of because uh, four years ago, you know, when we set out on this journey, the vision was to put India on the map uh, or the world map of chocolate. That was that was sort of the idea, and I think we we will sort of try yes. to stick to that vision as much as and possible. I think we yeah, we still are on the same track. That being said, we are also very proud about the way that we do the farming which is completely chemical free and in a the most sustainable manner that i've yet uh, i've seen of all the different places that they farm yes tell me about the cow rotation oh yes uh, the sustainability uh, aspect of things is that the primary uh, goal was to limit getting external output you know it could be organic, it could be certified organic, but what was the uh, uh, profit in bringing something from, say, for example, if I import a container of organic manure from China, from some brand, bought it here, I uh, applied it for my plants, and then they produce something and I uh, sell it as organic or chemical free produce. Now what we do is something much more sustainable where Almost all of our inputs have been generated from byproducts slash uh, waste products, the pod, like such as pod waste, the, the coconut leaf, the cocoa leaf, the cocoa pruned waste. All of those have been converted or applied in a manner such that it benefits and returns back to the soil. So we are in, in trying to be more and more in tune with nature and we are trying to be as uh, local as possible, as less uh, carbon footprint as possible and we're trying to return back fertility in the soil and what I'm most proud of in that is that see let's assume that you produce 
one acre of farm if you produce again let's say that one metric ton of some produce and to do so you've expended a certain amount of fertility or energy from the soil so that to add that fertility or energy back into the soil next year you have to put back certain amount of fertilizer or manure so if you have to spend a lot of money and energy fertilizing the soil then it didn't seem right to me it had to happen in a natural sequence sequence of events so that's what we are working on so all our inputs are generated in a manner where it is most abundant at the same time it is of less cost or very cost effectively i just have one more question it's a slightly longer so india now has quite a history of making chocolate machinery and some cocoa production and now some chocolate making which of these if not all do you see growing the most in the future like the next 5 10 years okay i will give you my thought on it then you know manush can uh, harish can share his if you see the cocoa production i do not see this increasing significantly in any way because you know the last few years if you look at the actual global average prices for commodity cacao it has actually been flat or in fact it has gone down and uh, today actually the indian prices uh, are actually higher than global prices uh, which and those prices are not attractive for an indian farmer so i don't see farmers lining up uh, to plant more cacao anytime soon uh, they will do so i think only if in terms of climatic conditions in terms of water resources and in terms of the mother crop enabling them to do so uh, as manoj said here is coconut in other places it's you know different trees but uh, i think if that sort of gives a conducive environment then there may be some increase but i don't see anything drastically happening uh two in terms of machinery what you ask for uh machinery again in terms of the craft part of it as i said today but the truth is most flies of machinery if you look at the craft chocolate world uh, most of the melanges winovas uh, breakers have all have have some history or some link with india and uh, you know pretty much uh, coimbatore is grinder central every melanger that's running in this world has at least some component that's actually gone from coimbatore is as simple as that so in terms of machinery yes i think you, you probably will see some improvement of components or machineries going out of india for the craft world ball mills or you know better winnowers uh, uh, conscious things can happen and i think that something will happen third part of it when you asked about chocolate makers or chocolate making i definitely think that there is going to be room for growth and you will see a lot new people come in both in terms of chocolate makers and also chocolatiers and chefs today there is a trend of chefs and chocolate chocolatiers who want to work with local materials uh, locally produced locally grown locally produced ingredients uh, and i think that space probably will see the fastest growth at least in the next few years because looking at in, in the context of chocolate there was nothing available to them uh, in the past because if somebody wanted if some chef wanted to get good quality indian origin kovacha there was nothing to be found there was none and i think that space will be filled up by a lot of chocolate makers coming out of the scene soon and uh, similarly you know for the chefs for the home bakers for everything you, you, i think that that's 
probably an exciting place to to watch in the next couple of years absolutely i i would agree to uh, to most uh, mostly that uh, the chocolate making scene would see the most action followed by the machinery uh, uh, makers and lastly would be the farming sector because like i said it's getting more and more difficult with climate change to grow uh, crops such as vanilla such as spices such as cacao and prices being what they are and being if you see the trend of uh, how the prices were for the last 10 years the pricing has not been attractive enough to attru- to to uh, warrant new interest in cacao growing and uh, i'm just again clarifying on what uh, harish said is uh when when i spoke about prices and when he spoke about prices we mean prices for bulk commodity cacao yes. we are not talking about fine flavor specialty cacao now fine flavor specialty cacao is uh, is completely a different story uh there what happens is you know for the farmer it's it's always a case of a chicken and egg story uh because today for the farmer to sort of invest his time uh, in order to better manage the crop and to actually ferment and dry cacao the way it's supposed to be uh takes money and effort and i think in india today a farmer will start doing it only when he sees money on the table and for the buyer it's always the other side of the coin you know they will pull money out of the pocket only when the cacao is on the table and uh, and i think that probably will take some time to change but we need to wait and watch we call that a stirring contest yeah so somebody has to has to blink first i mean in this case it's not a question of blinking in terms of you know doing the job so we need to wait and see well is there anything else you'd like to share that you feel like you haven't been able to express today no no uh well what i would like to say is that in terms of india as an origin of cacao and also talking of as an origin of you know in country made chocolate i think we've not even scratched the surface in the next few years i'm sure you're going to see a lot lot more a lot of uh, new chocolate makers a lot of new uh, cacao producers as well cacao producers yeah. as well and and, uh, and overall pushing up the quality quality of the, chocolate yeah, that is what the quality what and the quantity say, yes. i think i think quality is going to get better and better so how have you been over the last 6 months what's it been like since i left in early january well uh you know january and february uh were pretty good for us even you know up to the beginning of march was was good you know because we were traveling for the shows and uh, and work was okay and you know the things things were pretty pretty good uh but of course you know this whole lockdown with this whole uh, covid uh, issue has thrown a spanner in the works but uh, you know we we sort of getting out of it like uh, karti said we continue to work until i think uh, lockdown happened and uh, once that was announced we didn't know if we could actually you know get people across to work on the cacao farms so it was a big confusion for almost a month so during that initial phase of the lockdown we actually did not have work happening on the farms except for the very very basic uh, activities such as uh, just irrigation and so on and fortunately it was not 
uh, harvesting season so we didn't have too much of harvesting either but uh, for the first couple of months we actually didn't do even regular farm activities just the basics we were having the basic people that actually lived on the farms they were only there to do the maintenance such as uh, irrigation which is uh, you know without which the plants won't survive the, the cacao trees also won't survive so that is the basic thing that happened and most of the workers that used to come from the outside from the periphery they were all uh, asked not to come because uh, of the covid and when did the lockdown start in india was that the beginning of april no 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 for us it started the 21st of march what was it like to be in southern india during the lockdown and i mean what what is it like now 4 months later in the beginning you know it it was uh, uh, you know i mean for us we got thrust into the lockdown uh, pretty quickly without any notice so to speak so suddenly it was like you know four weeks of total shutdown no work no school no uh, factories running everything was shut for four weeks those four weeks uh, actually went rather quickly we were all locked up in our respective houses you know uh, there was absolutely no work happening anywhere that i would say was both good and bad okay work wise you know nothing happened we lost the sales at that time and stuff like that but everybody in the team and all our workers and their families so far uh, you know they've not contracted covid yet and uh, you know that way it, it was all right and now slowly things are opening up still there are restrictions on movement of people between districts so that is still sort of hampering a little bit of work though we've started work in a partially so you could say that we are working at roughly 50% capacity now and at least the transportation of goods there are no restrictions so we're trying to get shipments out as best as we can and hoping things stabilize hopefully at least by the end of the year is that 50% capacity the same in so far as chocolate making see chocolate making also uh, well we could uh, make more but in reality we are doing only 50% now because uh, see most of our chocolate shipments actually go by courier not by you know road transport but we book it on couriers with insulated packages and you know frozen gel packs and uh, what has happened is these couriers are not operating uh, as they normally do there are still restrictions on certain areas let's say you know certain cities certain places where our customers are if there is uh, higher restrictions on lockdown then they're not able to deliver so you know we're taking a call every day before we ship uh, will the package reach you know is is that address clear uh, is there no restrictions at that particular address and so that's what we're doing wow that's incredibly involved no that's what we have to do unfortunately yeah and it's taking longer to deliver yeah. to the same spot for instance if it took originally if it took 48 hours to deliver now they take you know twice the amount of time something like 4 days the, the, that's the kind of new norm now so as you mentioned earlier one of the world's largest economies was at a standstill for a whole month but you mentioned in january that you were having some trouble finding workers for the farm but since many people surely lost their jobs in that time have you had any more interest since the lockdown or and are other local farmers running into the same labor issues that you are 
Okay. Uh, I will let Manoj talk about the farm a little later. But at least as far as the chocolate production is concerned, see what we did was, you know, unlike many of the other governments, the Indian government unfortunately has not supported the industry. You know, they have not given any uh, write-offs for us in terms of, uh, there was no financial support given in any way. So we took a call saying, you know, what should we do? And uh, so uh, for those four weeks that we were closed, we decided that, you know, we would pay two-thirds of the pay uh, to the, to all our sales team, to the workers at the factory and things like that. So that at least, you know, uh, they're at home, they, they have no nothing to worry about and things like that. So that's the call that we took and we did for that month, month and a half. Wow. I imagine that that's not common. Oh, yeah. And uh, see, on the farm, what we did is that, you know, they were very strict on enforcing this lockdown on the larger farms you know whereas the smaller farms they just managed to get away with people coming there to work which meant that the people that were working on our farms were eagerly sought after at the neighboring smaller farms and they managed to work there because it it is not a big uh, group of uh, people that were working in the smaller farms and you know it was only handfuls of people you know five six that went to work there and uh, they were only too happy to employ them for the time that we said you can not come to work because of the enforcement and uh, the government uh, the uh, cops were there to inspect and see that you know uh, even at our farms they were coming to check if we had too many people working and all that so only the people that were working and staying on the premises of the farm they were allowing so we didn't want to risk it and you know uh, being on the uh, wrong side of the rule so how about in terms of shipping the cacao because you had just harvested your main harvest when i left six months ago so were you able to sell that cacao or is it still resting or what are you expecting insofar as being able to ship and sell cacao internationally okay uh, that way, uh, I think we have been a little fortunate because, uh, you know, the main harvest for us is uh, between October and January. So, whatever the larger shipments of cacao that needed to get out, got out in February. So, that, that was out before the lockdown happened. And are you, what is happening and what are you expecting to happen in terms of the cacao side of the business? Because it seems like a lot of farmers are expecting that, okay, they'll be able to harvest and figure that part out, but they're not sure if there will be a market for them six months from now. What we harvested last season has been completely sold out. And uh, we've been lucky that way at least. Uh, So now we have a a smaller harvest season happening now, June, July. That is happening at the farm. And, uh, you know, our next main harvest would actually start only in October. So then, you know, we, we, we are now keeping our fingers crossed seeing how uh, the chocolate makers uh, in the West are doing, what the, the market would look like next season. So now that you've seen more of how the Indian government is approaching everything and supporting or not supporting certain industries, what are you expecting and preparing for over the next six months as you look forward to the next big harvest? See, in terms of expectations... For the next season, personally, I have a little bit of a pessimistic view. I think we should be mentally prepared uh, for the market to be a little down for the chocolate in terms of domestic, in terms of spending. 
and uh, also i think in terms of the market for our cacao also it depends on how many chocolate makers actually get out of this situation unharmed so to speak so we're definitely keeping our fingers crossed and taking a pessimistic view of at least i expect business to be at least a third less i think so too max what uh, we understand is europe has recovered fairly well and america is still a few months behind and i think uh, places like india are only still yet to peak from the look of things so we have to hope that things get better but be prepared for at least uh, like kapi said maybe the 60% uh, sale could happen but uh, 40% may be down we, we we just hope that things get better soon Thank you so much for listening to this extended interview from Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. In fact, please share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. An especially huge thank you to Karthi and Harish for being in this episode and for letting me visit your farm many months ago. To learn more about Socklet, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.